All right, if you have a Bible, take a look at Romans, all right? Take a look at Romans. Um, we have, uh, I've just again decided in the, in the book of Romans just to walk through this. Normally in the, in the, in the, in the summertime, a lot of folks are in and out and, and different things. And, um, and so I like to do some sort of a series in the summer that, that usually it's in the Old Testament, but I decided to share this in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is, is, is just, as I've been telling you, it's foundational. Uh, it's something you need to hear. It's something that you need to understand. Uh, if you're a believer, it's, it's, it gives you a clear indication and a clear, if you will, foundation of, of, the, of, the, of the message of the gospel, right? What is the gospel? It's explained, uh, it's illustrated, and even tells you its impact in a person's life in the book of Romans, especially the first 10 chapters. A proper understanding, a good understanding of that will keep you from a whole lot of whole lot of, whole lot of mess ups, right? And I like sharing it just verse by verse. Obviously we're not doing every verse because we just don't have, I told you before, I did a verse by verse study through the book of Romans one time. I think it took, a, took me 14 months, all right? Uh, and so I'm giving you a bigger overview, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it and understand it because Paul wrote the book of Romans Number one, because the church at Rome was going to be so important. Because there was not another city in the world at the time that was more important than Rome. And it was gonna wind up being the launching place for the gospel all over the world. And so this was written so that we would always have something that gave us just the pure look at what is the gospel. What is it that Jesus did and, and, and uh, obviously who he was and what is it that he came to do. And those two things are, are just solidified in these, in these, especially these first 10 chapters. And so I just, I just really wanted you, I wanted you to know what it means. I wanted you to see what it means uh, because it is so easy to miss it. When you understand what the gospel is, uh, I, I would say at least half as I've been sharing with you every week, you'll hear me say a little bit more about it in a minute, but I'd say over half of those that call themselves, you know, Christian denomination, you don't really, I don't know how you get off track because it's so clearly explained in the book of Romans. So today's title is So Great a Salvation. If you're a believer here today, I want you to I want you to constantly, you know, when th something happens to you, sometimes you don't realize all of what it means until some time goes by. That's kind of the, the picture here is as a believer, we learn more and more about who we are and who God's called us to be as we go. And that's what this is going to be. If you're not, uh, if you're not a believer or you're not sure, then I want you to see this is what it is. This is what the Bible says is not what everybody else says that it is. And that's where it, a lot of times people have a hard time seeing who Christ is and what he came to do because there's so many people saying stuff about it. It just becomes confusing. And believe it or not, with the information technology we have now, it's even gotten to be more confusing. So we're just looking at what it says, not what I say, not my opinion, not really even my interpretation, but what does the scripture say in Romans, which the book of Romans was written for you to be able to understand salvation and what it means. All right, since that's the reason it was written, let's just look at it slow enough to where that is what that says, okay? That's my purpose. Today's gonna to be more of, a, more of a teaching day, right? I, they're just things for you to see and to learn and because ignorance is what gets us off the, off the page, right? Of what, of what it says that it really is. Now, I wanna give you just a little bit of an overview of where we've been, okay? We've been through four chapters. And today we're gonna to do chapter five. But I, again, you have to hear the little bit of the foundation so that chapter five will make sense. Chapter one, it starts off with some introductions. And then at the very end, it just talks about sinfulness, right? And it just talks about all in all, you know, just the world in which we live, you know, is kind of taking a swan dive, you know, into sinfulness and even reveled in the fact that, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's kind of chapter one, what it talks about. And it's, it's condemning of it, obviously, the scriptures and the understanding of the sinfulness. But the second chapter is the one people always, a lot of people talk about the first chapter. 
Because it talks about a whole lot of just, again, just the, the state of the world in which we live. But chapter two is different. Chapter two, it, it talks about the sinfulness of those who don't, who don't see themselves as sinful. It talks about those who are self-righteous. It talks about, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful, it's a powerful chapter. And what do I mean by self-righteousness? That, that means that those who think to, to themselves that they are good enough uh, to be right with God by just their moral behavior and their, and as they look around, you know, they compare themselves to everybody else and somehow think, you know, I'm, I'm a lot better than most, that kind of a thing. And guys, that is what Jesus faced. He faced the religious crowd when he was, when, when he was alive. And in the, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he faced the religious crowd and, and they were, I mean, they lived pretty moral, clean, disciplined lives. But then Jesus was tough on them. I mean, Jesus was real tough on them. He called them whitewashed tombs, right? And so, so therefore the self-righteous and, um, and, and, and that they're, you know, that they're not right with God either. In fact, uh, in fact, it's even worse, right? The chapter two folks are even worse than the chapter one folks. And it's interesting that the chapter two folks would see themselves as being superior and better than everybody else. It's always an amazing thing, right? When you take a look at it. And so then chapter three is a summary of chapter one and two. Well, not just a summary, but a conclusion. And here's what it says in chapter three, verse nine. What then, question mark, Paul says, are we Jews, Paul's talking about himself, okay? He says, are we Jews any better off? In other words, he's asking the question, are we right with God just simply because we're Jewish? And he says, no, not at all, right? For we've already charged, or we've already stated, is that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are all, all sinners, right? As is written, there's no, none righteous, not even one. All right, so you have this, gosh, you have this incredible, just simple truth that everybody kind of knows, right? Even though his is interesting, because our world now is trying to tell you that there's no such thing as truth, and if there's no such thing as truth, then you're not a sinner, because if there is no truth, then there's no way you can transgress the truth. So it's just, it's, it's gotten to where, but when you do away with that, that's why you'll do away with seeing your need. But the one thing you're going to find out in this passage in, here in a minute in chapter 5 is that we're all on the same road and it's an undeniable road. And we'll get to it in just a minute, all right? No one understands, no one seeks after God. All right, now this is where I wanna explain a couple things to you. Uh, take a look, can you move? Move, are y'all with me? All right, verse 21, okay? So there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks after God. And then in verse 21, again, I just need to explain some terms to you again so that you can understand where we are and where we're going, right? It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, what is the righteousness of God? That just means being right. That is just being right. right? Righteousness of God. It has been made manifest. That is, it's been revealed, right? Apart from the law. Okay, now that's interesting. So being right with God, a way to be right with God has been revealed to you, okay? Apart from following the rules. That is, what are the rules? Well, the rules, I want you to understand, we talk about 10 commandments, but if you've ever read through the Old Testament, there are a lot more than 10. Read the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you'll find out how many there really are. And these, these constant, the law is what's saying here, these constant things that talk about these things. It says, therefore, being right with God apart from your own performance, right? Apart from your own doing good, right? In fact, he says that the law and the prophets obviously bear witness to it. He goes on to say there's a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, all right, for all who believe. So being right with God because of who Jesus is and what he came to do on your behalf is what's being talked about. And he does, he does go on to say here, and this is a powerful statement. He says there is no distinction. There is no distinction. Therefore, I don't care who you are, if you're a man or a woman, I don't care what language you speak, I don't, care, I don't care what the color of your skin is, I don't care what nation you're from, the picture here is there's no distinction, it is for all, right? 
which is pretty, pretty powerful, right? He says, he goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at, look at this. And are justified. I've explained that term every week. But when you, get, when you get a good picture of it, when you get a good understanding of it, it helps you understand. Now, the horse who just won the triple crown, all right? That's the horse's name, all right? Justify, all right? Justify, we use the word today, all right, the way we use it, and I've explained this every week, and I'm gonna explain it every week until as long as it keeps using it in the passage. But the word justify means you take something that's wrong and you make it right. Therefore, when you look at someone and say, well, he's just trying to justify himself. What we're saying is he's wrong, but he's trying to make it look like he's right. You know, by coming up with excuses or it's really not their fault, not my fault. Justifying yourself, making what that was is wrong and making it right. Keep that in your brain. Taking what's wrong and making it right. So therefore we are made right. We're all wrong. We've already established that. We're all sinners, all right? We've been made right, justified by his grace as a gift. Has it done any plainer than that? You are made right with God, right? As a gift, grace. And grace is different than a gift. Grace's definition is a gift you don't deserve. So none of you deserve it. Why? Because we're sinners, all of us. And therefore what Christ did was a, was a gift to you. And that the way that you get that gift in your life is through faith, right? By grace, through faith, by grace, through faith, right? Through the redemption that's in, that's in Jesus Christ. Now, as you continue to look at all these verses, and we continue to talk about it, guys, this is what I want to talk to you. That's what I want you to see. I want you to grasp this. Because more than half of the Christian churches, denominations, whatever you want to call them, will teach you that you have, to, yes, you need what Jesus did at the cross, but they also include, well, yeah, but you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this or you're not a believer. And guys, that is not what it says anywhere. So you say, well, Jeff, how do people get off track? Because of tradition, because of this is the way we've always done things. Because if you do something long enough, it's incredible how we as humans can turn tradition into the truth, right? Well, we've just always done it that way. Okay, well, great. All right, but what's it based on? I don't know, I've just always, I see. See, I, I can rub people the wrong way, especially in a church situation, because I love blowing up traditions. So sometimes you're not a real popular guy when you do that. But I have found when people start to trust traditions, they get themselves in trouble. And you start denying the truth in favor of your own tradition, whatever that tradition might be. I want you to know that the scriptures here are clear. Can you go back to the, to the other passage in 23? It says, I want you to understand um, chapter three. All right, chapter three, all right. So chapter three, verse 21, but now righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law through the law of the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at this and are justified by grace as a gift. Okay. As a gift. So I want you to hear me being right with God is then a gift that's given to you that can only be received as a gift and received by faith. I always like to explain it this way. I like to give you understanding. Grace, a gift you don't deserve. Faith is the way to get his grace into your life. Illustration, you have a disease, okay? Let's say with this disease, whatever it is, it's, it's life-threatening disease. This doctor comes out and he hands you a bottle of pills. And he says, take, take one twice a day or whatever he tells you. He says, but this will save your life. Now, the medicine is grace. It has potential to have huge impact in your life. But not if you don't take it. So therefore faith 
is taking his grace and putting it into your life. That's why at the Lord's Supper, symbolically, you take it into you, right? You see, guys, these are all, these are all things that are understandable, but sometimes the meaning of it by grace through faith, things like that, gets lost in, in, in religiosity, right? Into, into these church words that, well, what does that even mean? But in reality, these aren't church words, these are just words that describe who Christ is, what he came to do. So when you understand, all right, justified, being made right, it's a gift, right? Who Christ is gave him the ability to do what he did, which gave you a gift that can be, but it is not automatic to you, right? It can only be received by faith. You can only put your faith and trust in it. That's the only way to get it in your life. Therefore, listen, it's not about It's not about being a member of a church. It's not about going to class. It's not about being baptized. We're doing baptism tonight. But those who are baptized tonight, it does not make them a believer, right? It only shows that that's what they are. So then why in the world did he give us baptism? Because he doesn't want us being ashamed of him. So therefore you're never baptized by yourself at home. I've had people ask me, hey, Jeff, we have a hot tub. Can you just come by? Seriously. And we'll have a few people together. No, 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 no. Baptism is in front of everybody, right? Does that make sense? It's, it's to be in front of everybody. Why? Because it's, it's letting everybody know the difference that's been made in your life. So anyway, so we have then this great picture, right? So then chapter four, chapter four is just an illustration. Uh, therefore, chapter three, justified by grace through faith, right? All that we just explained. Chapter four is an illustration of that. And he asks the question, he says, he's basically, he's talking to Jewish people here and he says, well then how was Abraham made right with God? Because Abraham is a big deal, especially at this particular time among the Jewish folks, right? In fact, they used to say to Jesus, you know, we are Abraham's descendants, as if that meant something as if that's what made them right with God, being a physical descendant of Abraham. So he goes on through it, and we don't have time to talk a whole lot about it, but he says, hey, what shall we say then? It should be gained, you know, by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham, if Abraham was justified by works, right, he'd have something to boast about. In other words, if Abraham was made right with God because he did good works, then he would have something to boast about. And guys, therein lies something you need to hear. Anytime, anytime we get judgmental, anytime we get bragging type, I want you to understand that anytime that happens, all that does is show that you and I think that somehow our good works have something to do with us being right with God. Does that make sense? I remember growing up um, in, a, in a church, you know, and it's kind of an old mainline, hard line at, at times. But I, I can't tell you the, the arrogance and the judgmental attitude that was sometimes there. Because you only get arrogant when you have a confidence that your own good works had something to do with you being such a wonderful person. Does that make sense? But when you truly understand the gospel, humility, humbleness is the only result because you know you didn't deserve it and you had nothing to do with it other than trusting it. Does that make sense? Those who truly understand the message of the gospel should never have pride and arrogance. Why? Because you had nothing to do with it. You know what the best thing you and I have going for us? The best thing that you and I have going for us is that God loves us. That is the absolute best thing we have, right? Because there's not anything in and of us that was gonna make us right with him. So if if Abraham was justified works, he'd go around bragging about it. But he says, not before God, right? So God's not impressed and God is not pleased when we go around bragging about who we are and who we think we are. I find that interesting. I find it really interesting. It goes on to say the scripture said, but the scripture tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So 
basically Abraham became a believer by grace through faith, just like the rest of us, right? Now I have to skip on, and, but I have to give you that foundation. I've gotta give you that foundation for then you to understand the next chapter, right? Because it gives you a little bit more of the look at your salvation, right? Now, number one uh, is, if we're gonna spend the majority of our time here, so, uh, so I just want, but I want you to see this. Number one is what I'm gonna call the security of our salvation, okay? Now, there's nothing more incredible than being secure in a relationship, especially with him. So therefore, if there's this constant threat of losing your relationship with him, then there's never going to be any stability and never gonna be any foundation that he wants you and I to have. So I want you to understand that the scriptures, if you truly, if you understand what salvation is today, all right, if you truly understand your own, then you'll understand what I'm talking to you about because it just makes sense. So the question comes down to a person's salvation and, and it comes down to the security of it is can you lose it? right? Can you lose it? And that's what this passage is about. So in other words, once you become a believer in Christ, can you then become not become a believer? Well, uh, the answer is no. And let me tell you why. Because it says that. We'll read it in just a minute and you'll see it. But see what happens is, it's not something that it's, it's just a, an intellectual thing for you. It's like when somebody says to me, you know, because this happens often. So, well, you know, they, they, they look at me and say, well, the, I used to be a Christian. And I'm always nice. But I said, I said, no, you didn't. Right? Because there's no such thing as somebody being unborn. Does that make sense to you? You just can't do it. If truly, now, if you believe that your salvation is just merely an intellectual thing that has to do with your own good works, well, yeah, if your good works got your salvation, then your bad works can lose it. That makes sense. But you don't get it by good works. You get it because it's a gift. And it's a gift that changes your life, which we've talked about when we looked at pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. It always is a difference. Usually what happens, and again, I'm not trying to be ugly, but usually what happens is, is that somebody comes at a time in their life and they have what I call a religious spasm. You know, they, they get excited about it for a while, right? And then the excitement kind of wears away, like Jesus talked about in Sore in the Souls, you know? They sprung up real quick. And, but then it goes away and say, well, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. So it was just a, it was just a, emotional thing, right? A feeling thing. Because I'm here, I'm here to tell you this piece, as you're about to see here in this passage, is that when he begins, begins a good work in you, he's going to continue it. And if you truly are a believer, if you truly are his, then, then you are his child, he is your father. And let me tell you something, he will not sit idly by as you live in, in disobedience. Right? Any more than a good father or mother here allows their children to live that way. In fact, some writers have called him the heavenly hound. Right? If you find yourself not being able to get away with anything, it's because you have a father in your life that is teaching you uh, what it means to be his. Right? So let's walk through this, just let you see it. Right? Um, this picture of security. Number one is what I'm gonna call is the believer's peace. The believer's peace. Guys, I have a lot of notes here, but I, only, I don't do notes to make it complicated. I only do a lot of notes. In fact, I always look back when I study for this and I say, can I simplify this anymore? Because sometimes too many notes just complicates it. I only put notes up there if I think they're good pegs for, for you to hang things on that separates it and helps you understand. That is my only passion, is for you to understand. So I've kind of separated these things out, maybe to help understand a little bit. So number one, under this security thought, is the believer's peace, P-E-A-C-E, -E, all right? And it says there, for in chapter five, verse one, it says, therefore, therefore, since everything in chapter four has been said, that is the whole Abraham thing, 
Since we have been justified by faith, that means we've been made right with God by grace through faith, right? We have peace now with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now guys, there's something you need to understand about what happened at the cross. That is what Jesus came to do. Not just who he was, but what he came to do. You see, there's these great symbolisms in the Old Testament is that that the people's sin, Israel's sin at that time, separated them from God. That's why when you, the greatest illustration of that was the temple, right? And, And the temple had this big veil. It's like a real thick curtain, four inches thick, that separated God's presence, because the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, all of that stuff, right? That was, a, that was a picture of God's presence. And this big curtain separated God from the rest of the people. Why? Because it represented sin. So if you know what happened to that curtain, when Jesus died, when Jesus screamed out, it is finished, the curtain tore from top to bottom, right? So now, <clears throat> now there's a possibility for a relationship because of who he is and what he came to do. That is his death at the cross. So we have what I call the believer's peace. We're we're in right standing with who God is, right? Number two is the believer's standing, which is, I just, just alluded to it, but let's take a look at verse two. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith. Now, I just want to tell you guys, I've had the best time preparing these, these to share with you because I've looked up everything again and I've been, it's been a while since I've been through these, but that, that, you see the word obtained access? That's just such an amazing word. It's only, it's, it's only used, that particular word's only used three times in the entire Bible. And what, what it means is, is that an area that you were never allowed to go into now you can't. It's like getting the key, right? It's like getting the key. It's like getting the credentials, whatever it takes to be able to go somewhere you've never been able to go before. Therefore, through him, that is Christ, what he, who he is, what he came to do, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. In other words, what has happened to us? It's, it's more than just what we believe. Listen, it's, it's now who you are. Right? Because he goes on to say, through him, we have obtained access by faith, right? Into this grace in which what? In which we stand. It becomes our stand. It becomes this access. It becomes who we are more than just a privilege, but it becomes who you are. And so when you take a look at this security, then it's the security of who we are in Christ has to do with who Christ is, not with who we were but who he's made us to be. And it's a standing, not who we are now, but who he's made us to be. And that's the whole thought of what the gospel is. Okay, now the believer's hope, okay? Believer's hope. Let's look now uh, in verse three. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, he takes a little different direction because of what was happening to the Christians at Rome and what was going to happen to them. You have to remember that, that... Rome was the, by far, the most important place in the world at the time. It's where everything happened. And this church was going to be instrumental, but they were also going to go through horrible persecutions. If you know anything about your history and how Rome in the early days dealt with the Christians, it was ugly. So he talks to them about some of their sufferings. The word suffering there is the word for tribulations. In reality, it's also the word that's used for when olives are put into an olive press and it talks about pressure, right? And it goes on to talk about that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is perseverance. Endurance is not quitting. And then endurance produces character. I looked up the word character and you know what the word character here means? It's translated different ways, but this, this particular one means, it just means this, it just means proof, or if you will, evidence, okay? So this suffering that produces, you know, endurance is also, it's gonna, it's gonna be proof and evidence that you have a changed life to the world in which you live. And eventually it had huge impacts on the Romans, right? right? And that that character produces hope. What is hope? Remember, hope is something that's future. Hope is not, 
Hope is not the way we use the word, especially not in the Bible. The way we use the word is, well, I hope so. And when we, use, when we say we hope so, it's, it, what we're meaning by that is it's doubtful, but we're still hoping, right? That's not the biblical concept. The biblical concept is it's future, yeah. It has not happened yet, but it's based on God's promise, so it's rock solid, okay? And he says hope does not put us to shame, all right? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given us. Guys, this is why I talk about the security of the believer. All these things are yours in Christ. The biggest difference I saw happen in my life as a believer, and I became a believer when I was 21, is because I remember my thoughts and who I was before I became a believer. And I was a self-centered person, right? And a lot of us are without, if you don't have God in your life, it just kind of all revolves around you. You know, you know, you try to fake it enough to where it doesn't look that way, but in reality it does, right? And I remember the biggest change that came in my life is I began to genuinely have a care and concern and a love for other people, right? Because it's what he was doing in me. It is a powerful thing to think about. Number four is the believer's possession, all right? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love's been poured into us. We've just talked about this through the Holy Spirit, all right, that has, uh, that's been given to us. Look at this, for while we were still weak, that is unable to do anything about it in and of ourselves, we were weak. The right time Christ died for us. And he gives you a little illustration. It's just, you know, doubtful, you know, it, you know, scarcely someone will die for someone who's righteous. Uh, then perhaps for even for a good person, someone might die for them. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the greatest thing you and I have going for us is that God loves us. Right? This is an incredible thing here. As you think about who we are, who he is, Guys, it is so clear. And you'll see it through the rest of these chapters because the book of Romans is, is, can be repetitive because Paul doesn't want you missing what the real gospel is. And yet it's amazing how, how much it is missed, even though this is all here, right? I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it, it amazes me to think that that any of us could think anything had to do with us being right with God other than who he's made us to be. You know, when we begin to think down through some of these things, when I, when I think about the believer's peace, the believer's standing, that is who you are. I think about the believer's hope. I think about the believer's possession. Guys, this is, this is who you are. This is why sometimes people struggle. You know, like who you are in him, not who you are, but who you are in him. That has to do, that has to, let me, let me tell you what I mean. The word saint, okay? There's a whole lot, there's more baggage that goes with the word saint than a 747, okay? Let me explain what the word saint means. The word saint, it's a very simple word. The word saint means holy one or one who is holy. And another word for holy is right, right, pure, whatever you want to call it. So a saint is one who is right or is righteous, okay? Now, according to what we've just, don't answer this out loud because I really don't want you to get it wrong, all right? After what we've just read, who are those who are right with God? Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and he's made them right. Right? So therefore, if you're a believer here today, you are a saint. Not because it's you, but because he's made you that. Right? Well, I don't feel like a saint. Well, I get that. Right? Because it's not you. It's him in you. It's the standing. It's who you are. See, it's... it's <laughs> But we've made becoming a saint something that you achieve, or not us, but you know what I'm talking about. Something you live this great life and then we hang the title of saint on you. That is never what the scriptures have ever said about what it is. 
Anyone who's right with God is right with him because they've been made right because of who Christ is and what he came to do. And I just want you to get it. I just want you to understand it. Sometimes I say, well, Jeff, that's, a, that, you know, that's your interpretation. How else do you interpret that? Justified by grace through faith. How else can you interpret that? There's no other interpretation of it. And there's no original language because I know the original language. Well, you know, in the original language, it says, I mean, there's been more garbage said. No, it's what it says, all right? And I just want you to know it, okay? I have found that the, most of the time people, denominations or whatever, and I'm not trying to make anybody point out to anybody to be bad or good. I just want you to hear the truth. A lot of times you change things up a little bit, people do, in order to get people to do something you want them to do, right? All right. Number five, is the believer's certainty, all right? Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, right? Now don't let that mess you up. What does the word justified mean again? It means something that's right has been made Something's wrong has been made right. How was it made right? By his blood. What does it mean, blood? It means his life. When he shed his blood, that is, he gave his life on your behalf. So you were justified by what Christ came to do, which is the cross, right? Much more will be saved from him from the wrath of God. What's wrath? Wrath is punishment, right? Condemnation is, when you talk about condemned prisoner, it's those who have been declared guilty and punished for it. That's what we're talking about there. Therefore, we're saved from that. Why? Because we've been made right because of what he did. And while we were enemies, right? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And here's the next word for you to understand. We've talked about justify, that which is wrong is made right, right? But the word reconcile is another word. It's a great word, but you have to stop long enough. We use it in our culture when we talk about, well, you know, friends, they've been reconciled, or really we use it a lot in, in like in marriage. Well, they reconciled. Well, what did they do when they were reconciled? Well, they were apart, separated, and something had separated them. Either one's sin, indiscretion, however you want to call it, but something had driven them apart. One person, or both in cases, makes it right, or at least as much as they can repents, apologizes, whatever. Therefore, the two reconciled. Therefore, the two that were separated are now brought together. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, that is that which is separated is now brought together by what Christ did at the cross. See, these words, they are what they are. It's just sometimes they get lost, lost in religiousness. You know, when you talk about redemption or reconciliation or justification, they're all just big words. Oh, that's all religious words. They're really not. They're just real good words that really, really, really do explain what Christ did for us. Okay. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So in other words, it's not just, it's not just heaven when you die, but it's life right now. That's why Jesus made the statement, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance, right? It's an incredible thing. Number six is the believer's joy. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So joy is a, is a state of, 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 of heart and state of mind more than it is. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness has to do with circumstances and it can go all over the place, but joy is who we are in him, right? When you have that standing, there can be a long-term thing. Now I've got to move on, all right? Now, here's a couple other things and we're just about to be done. But number two and number three, number two is the inheritance of death. So therefore, number three is the inheritance of life. Now guys, this is what nobody likes to talk about, right? The majority of our culture lives in denial, okay, of the fact that I'm about to share with you. And therefore, take a look at this. Jesus, I mean, Paul makes a comparison here. Not really a comparison, but a contrast. But there's a, there's a picture here, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. But it's not so much a, a comparison, but it's a contrast. 
and you'll see him talk about it. But let's take a look at Romans chapter tw- uh, five, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who is that? That's Adam. So it compares Adam with Christ and the differences that they made on mankind, right? And so when you put it all together, it says, just as sin came into the world through one, and death came because of that sin. Wages of sin is death, right? And so death spread to all men because all have sinned, right? For sin, indeed, was, uh, was in the world before the law was given, but sin's not counted where there's no law. In other words, it's not recognized. It doesn't mean that if you don't know about it, you're not still responsible. It just means you don't see it. The law was given to us. God's law was given to us to show us that we couldn't follow it, right? And he says this, look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. You know, the one thing that you don't want to hear, but the one thing that we all have in common is that every one of our roads ends in the same place, right? And it is a proven fact, right, that death awaits us. Every one of us, some quicker than others. But see, most of us want to live in denial of that fact. I just want to, I just want to play like and act like that doesn't exist, right? But I'm here to tell you, it's one of the cold, hard facts that we all face and that we're all scared of, and we'd rather not have to think about. But it is the one reason that Jesus came. Because sin brought death. And therefore, he came to pay for the sin so that the wages of sin could be taken away. It's an incredible picture in an understanding of what it means, of what Christ came to do. Guys, there's, a, there's more... <laughs> there's more philosophizing over all kinds of things when it has to do, you know, with the way you live or what this is or what that is. But there is one cold, hard fact, right? That nobody in the world has an answer to. And I told you this before, this really hit home the death of my father a couple of months ago. I'm sitting in there with my son. I told you this is Easter. I'm sitting there with my son and we're alone with my dad and he's on a ventilator and he's not going to make it. My son goes, or had, he just graduated, he goes to this real smart school, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, they laugh at the thought of even God's existence. And I look over at my son, who's had to go through all that for the last four years. And I said, bud, I said, I said, your professors don't have an answer for this, do they? He said, dad, they don't. Not one answer. Does that make sense to you? Guys, I sat there and watched and looked at my dad and I can see why people want to avoid thinking about this. And if I didn't know what I know, if I didn't have my faith in where my faith was, I would have been traumatized. I hope you're hearing me. All of us are gonna face this. In fact, sometimes we stop attending certain churches that even talk about it. You know, I'd rather go to a place to where they only talk about happy things. <laughs> All right? Okay, this is not the church for you. Okay, because I want you to know what it means. I want you to understand it. Guys, this is reality. Okay? Incredible when you think about it. So number three, the inheritance of life. I'm just about done. So we have the inheritance of death, guys. It it, it was inherited to us. Why? Because Adam fell, and then it all passed on to us. Wages of sin is death. All of us are sinners. Therefore, death is in our our future. But there's an answer. And he gives you a series of contrasts here, right? And I just want to go through them quickly. And what's a contrast? A comparison is because this is true, this is just like it. But because a contrast is because this is true, this is the exact opposite. And so he, can, he contrasts Adam and Jesus. And let's just talk about it. For number one, it's effect. He says, the free gift is not like the trespass. Therefore, what Christ did at the cross is not like what Adam did, right? For if many died through one man's sin, trespass, much more have the grace of God and the, free grace, uh, and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. In other words, one sin brought, brought sin into the world. One act by who Jesus is saved the world, becomes the picture. It's extent, right? 
right? It's extent, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, right? For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following tre- many trespasses has brought justification. That is the process of being made right. Therefore, the result, right? Again, I just want you to see the inheritance that you have in him because of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We talked about the inheritance of death that all of us have, but this is now talking about the difference that's been made in your life because of who Christ is and what he came to do, if you indeed have put your faith and trust in him, right? The result, for if, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So it's not just for heaven when you die, it's for now. I've heard it put this way, it's not, it's not just for the sweet by and by, it's for the nasty now and now, right? All right, I, I can tell you, it's, it's a huge difference. See, I, since I didn't become a believer until I was 21, I still have great memories, not great memories, but solid memories of what it was like before I became his. And there was always such a battle going on in here about what I want to do and what I want to accomplish and, and what I need to get out of my way. And, and, you know, one of the greatest things in learning to follow him was the peace that came in here when I became his, which brings us to the impact. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for us all, so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. You see, these things, guys, let me tell you this. Most teacher speakers skip this part because it takes a lot of explanation. Therefore, I don't want to skip anything, right? I just need your, <laughs> I need your attention. Most people don't think you have the attention span to hear this, right? But within this is finding the foundation and explaining to us more of who you are in him, right? So one trespass led to condemnation for us all, so that one act of righteousness leads to us all being made right. For if by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, then by one man's obedience, many can be made right. So you see what he's talking about. Jesus is many times called the second Adam, and that's, this is the reason because of this passage. Finally, it's power. This is, class, this is great. I'm just about done. It says, now the law came, that is the rules, God's commands, to increase the trespass. In other words, it came to show us we couldn't do it. But where sin increased, grace always increases more. Right? Guys, it's this verse. You'll hear me say sometimes, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done, right? See, sometimes people really struggle with, you know, the voices in your head that constantly condemn you about the things that you have done, right, that follow you around, you know? You didn't realize they were gonna follow you around the rest of your life when you did them, right? But afterwards, they just follow you, right? And, and the voices of condemnation that live inside your head that says, oh, well, there's no way, you know, that, that stuff can work maybe for everybody else, but it's never going to work for you. See, guys, I just don't come up with stuff and tell you. But I don't care who, you're done, who you are or I don't care what you've done, how bad you may think it is. I want you to know, can you put the verse back up there? I want you to know that his grace can overcome it. Does that make sense to you? That's why I can say that. Because where sin increased, therefore, when you really, really were messing up, or maybe you're messing up now, I want you to know that because of who Christ is and what he did, what he came to do, it can always cover it because of who he was. Amazing. So that sin reigned to death, right? So that as sin reigned in death, right? That's what happens. Grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm just about done. I just, again, as we read through these passages, it just shares with you more and more of so great a salvation. And when it comes down to it, 
It's not some pipe dream in your head, but it becomes the reality that we face every day, right? And the freedom that comes from living in, in life, right? As opposed to death always hanging over you. It's an amazing thing to think on. So as a close, right? As I always like to share, if you're not a believer here today, uh, that's why you'll hear me say all the time, um, guys, this is not, what I'm sharing with you is not a Baptist thing. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a Methodist thing, Presbyterian or any others. See, this is his message to you. And one of the passions in my life, see, I kind of felt almost, I don't want to say betrayed, but I always felt defrauded a little because I was in church all my life. And all I ever picked out of it was the rules, right? Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. And you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this. And somehow if you let, and I could never, I was bad, okay? I was, I was, I was, I was the other kind of guy, you know? Some kids would actually try to follow them. But I was bit by the sin bug worse than others. Is it tell me something I should do and I'll do the opposite? You know, how sick is that? And so that just became who, therefore I didn't even try. But that becomes the picture. Guys, this is, I just want you to, I wanted you to see it for yourself. Again, it's not my interpretation, it's not my opinion, it's what it says it is. So if you wanna know what it means to be his, obviously there's always people up here afterwards love to talk to you. But if you're a believer here today, I wanted you to learn a little bit more about who you are, right? Not who you're going to be, but how you stand in him now. Not because you're great, but because he's great in you. Not because you're righteous, but because he's made you that way. It's an incredible thing. So I wanted you to know more about who you were. And number two, when you really get a good look at it, pride and arrogance just won't be a part of your life. And that is the new, my new favorite statement is that thankfulness ought to ooze from your pores, right? When you truly understand who he's made you, all right?